can I begin by saying that I actually think it represents a failure on the part of the political class in this country, um, and I'd say particularly Labour and, sadly, the Greens, um, a failure of that political class to, to take any action and to stand up against the racism, bigotry, and, and actual fascism represented by the Reclaim movement and their hangers-on, um, because the reason activists, citizens of this country, had to get out in the streets is because our political class wasn't speaking out. That's why this weekend happened. This is a systemic um, issue, um, most certainly upheld by the highest um, elites of this country, um, government leaders. Well, they're not really elite, are they? But, um, you know, the fact that they're not opening their mouths and um, deriding these people or keeping an eye on them um, is a little bit worrying. Um, they probably think that they're not going to go through with some of the threats that they've made on social media um, and that, um, you know, the, the I mean, because this would totally derail the whole narrative about Muslims being, you know, the reds under the beds of the 2020s. <laughs> so um, I think that... Um, I think our government has a lot to answer for, considering that one of their MPs went out and publicly attended one of these rallies. He should have stayed home and um, done some work on his electoral problems rather than hanging out with a bunch of people who think that it's all right to make totally unsubstantiated racist, racist assertions and diatribes against um, a, an important mem uh, important bunch of people in this country. Hmm. Corinne, I'm glad this conversation is happening with uh, uh, an organizer like Victoria in the room, and also someone from the Muslim community, because I, I think uh, this provides an opportunity to ask really important questions about how we win, uh, how decency wins, how uh, a vision for Australia that actually uh, looks like something other than, than hatred and fear wins. And I think one of the places we need to start is actually by listening to those who are on the receiving end of that hatred, of that fear. Uh, and so we have important questions to ask around what is the most effective way, because there are real lives on the line. We're talking about uh, real children uh, being not just teased and bullied at school, but spat upon in public, we're talking about um, mums down at the local shops uh, who, because of wearing the hijab, are being uh, accosted. This is a responsibility for the whole community to actually uh, stand up and speak out. And my questions are, is how do we speak out most effectively? How do we um, actually win? Because what we're fighting for is that important. Well, on that, how do we win? It's obviously a, a diversity of opinion and you know, I, I know that each of us probably lost in some ways as to to how, how, how to respond or maybe not lost but you know respect some of the divergent views here you know some of our you know staunch allies in, in other areas um, may have very strong ideas about a particular course of action uh, and you know allies 
in, in another field might have you know diametrically almost opposed views to it. So it's there's a lot of complexity in this. It's not a straightforward thing. Of course, we have historically, you know, the response to to fascism. Uh, you know, we have demonstrated, you know, in, in history that on the streets response direct confrontation you know has been successful in in you know marginalizing and and addressing this issue so i guess particularly i guess it comes into sharp focus for you know uh muslim people uh for other people of culturally diverse background that it's it's scary to to actually put yourself out there what's what's your response well i'm i'm kind of a bit like a badger in that you don't want to get into a fight with me because I'm small and probably be able to be eaten, but I've got claws and teeth. So I'm not really worried about fighting for my rights um, in life. But yesterday I did feel very intimidated by actually thinking, yeah, I'm going to have to go and get a car park, go to this place, there's going to be these people out there. They've been listening to the amazing lies that are being told by the movement about my religion. Mm. They're going to be all fired up. And if they see me by myself, and there's no way that I was going to give in and stay at home because I couldn't get a bunch of people to come with me as my bodyguards, I was going to get out there and no matter what happens to me, I was going to fight for my right to walk the streets of the country that I live in. So, but there's a lot of Muslim women who, who even though they want to do that, uh, they don't feel like they can. And uh, the moment anything happens, um, and there's this anti-Muslim rhetoric in in the public discourse, then those women, yeah, they're facing another week where they don't get to walk out in public because they're worried that, you know, they're worried about their children in their prams, you know. I mean, I've had people who have been abused and they've had their kids with them, you know. Um, the kids, kids at heel and also in a pram. It's like it is a viscerally dangerous climate once these people start being emboldened by the, mm. the complicit mm. nature of our politicians not saying anything about this. Look, I'd, I'd have to echo that and say that it's, um, it's really, uh, I would lay this at, at the feet of the Liberal Party, um, I don't just think the Liberal Party is soft on on uh, the far right. I think that they have actively encouraged and fostered the far right. Um, they've almost sought that out as, as a way of providing cover uh, for their own ideological program. It makes, uh, it makes the Liberal Party and everything they stand for and want to do appear far more mainstream. Hmm. Uh, it certainly doesn't explain uh, the until very recent uh, near silence of uh, both the Labour Party and the Greens uh, around this whole issue. And it's not for want of trying. I, I certainly do believe that protests, public protest, and as you have said, Karun, actually getting out on, on the streets and engaging in direct challenge doesn't have to be actual confrontation, but directly challenging the organization of these neo-fascist movements is, is absolutely vital. But I'm not one of those activists that thinks that um, activism, social movements, and social campaigning begins and ends in the streets, because it doesn't. 
Uh, but I would put it out there on the table that uh, myself and many, many other people uh, tried very hard over the past few months to get both national and state politicians and um, and actually police departments to pay attention to uh, what was happening, who it was who was organizing, and the level of threats being generated. So um, in the same way that Reclaim and their various manifestations have uh, been targeting uh, Muslims and Muslim women, they've also, in fact, been targeting left-wing activists. As a left-wing activist who is well-known, who has a, a minor public profile, I've been personally targeted as well with mm. death threats, rape threats, mm. um, and uh, the extreme level of public bullying and harassment that um, uh, left-wing progressive activists experienced needs to be seen to be believed and uh, and understood. Mm. So I suppose the next thing for us to, to start thinking about is, tactically speaking, where to from here? Because a protest is one thing. I think it's a very important thing. But I would agree with uh, many others that this is one tactic. It's not the only tactic. Mm. Yeah, and... Uh, where Victoria left off is, I think, where the conversation has to progress to. Um, we can rightly diagnose uh, fascism, white supremacy, uh, homophobia, misogyny, uh, bigotry, but the, the question becomes with these kind of uh, cancers in the, the soul of a, a nation, y- yelling that you're sick to someone might accurately name the situation and warn others of the situation, but it won't necessarily heal the person who is actually affected by that cancer. And my questions are around how do we make sure that we don't have media moments? And we, it's really important we're not naive. Like, um, uh, I sometimes worry that people go, oh, Jared's God bother. He's always going to talk about love your enemies. Of course, he's going to toe the nonviolence line. That's what this is about. This is, this is actually about the, like, the, the concrete realities of how we win. And um, the, the reality is that we're up against people who literally have swash stickers tattooed upon themselves. If, if we're in situations where we can't pivot that in the direction that the general public actually go, you're half decent. I mean, the reality of what you've heard from these incredible women and what they experience, um, these are stories that we should be able to pivot. We shouldn't be naive around the media, um, but we also shouldn't be so conspiratorial. They're interested in a story. They're interested in ratings. They're interested in money. If we show up and one side is yelling, uh, F off fascists, um, uh, which one side was in several cities around Australia, and uh, the other side is saying, um, uh, go home terrorists or like whatever else, that's a story. That's like, um, that's, that's going to bring revenue. That's something you can cut to. That's like having a journalist pushed around by uh, protesters. They don't care the issues. They don't care which side. It's just action. It's a story. How are we going to actually uh, subvert that and uh, um, be wise enough to actually play judo and, and call people to a vision which is bigger than themselves and actually shows this ugliness for what it is. I think we need to actually embody something more beautiful, uh, not naive, not like, but actually be able to name the ugliness and make sure that we sound like the most reasonable people because what we're saying is like, 
um, racism is wrong. That's that shouldn't be a hard thing to argue. Like, and I, I think the majority of mainstream Australia will go, yeah, you're right. As dark as we think things are at the moment, and I do think things are really dark. That's something that we can easily win. We're clearly doing something wrong when uh, it gets to such a stage that um, those who are, um, are on the other side um, are, are fueling attention to what is um, a fringe thing but is gaining more and more traction, sometimes because of the way we're responding. One thing that I've noticed about the um, the Perth reclaimers in particular is that they seem to be um, quite a bit more politically savvy, particularly in, in the sense that um, instead of sort of um, being happy to align themselves with um, with neo-Nazis and Golden Dawn and whatever else, they seem to be really pushing this line that they actually represent multiculturalism. And, for example, they've got, um, you know, West Papua campaign involved mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. And one of the first things that we noticed yesterday was that they are putting up their flags in a, in a big, um, obvious way to say, you know, we're actually the ones who are welcoming. So I just wanted to know what you thought, what your thoughts were on how we in particular respond to this, because... Um, I think even though my feeling is that they are racist, it seems as though the explanation for why they're racist when they keep talking about religion hasn't really that, – that argument hasn't really got out there. How is it that we actually um, make it transparent to wider society and even maybe to the reclaimers themselves that, yeah, actually what you're doing is targeting specific people in a racist way? Mm. I mean, how do what tactics do you think we should be using I, with that? I think – some of the messaging that has gone out has not had the clarity that it needs to have. Mm-hmm. So, for example, what we get coming from the reclaimers and, and the neo-fascists is Islam is not a religion. Uh, sorry, Islam is not a race. What race is Islam? Don't call us racists. What we also saw here in Perth yesterday was at least one person with a sign who said, I'm not a racist terrorism isn't a race. So they were drawing that uh, direct amalgamation of Muslim equals terrorist. It wasn't even subtle. I think that part of our messaging needs to be around the reality that Islamophobia is racism. And I don't think we should be backing away from that because I think that that is part of why the ideas of reclaim gain traction. And it's because there is a refusal to actually confront what Islamophobia is and the way that targeting all Muslim people, the you know, 99.99% of which are people who are actually no different from me or you, or any of your listeners out there, people who just want to go to work, have a family, uh, have a nice, quiet life, and, you know, buy stuff. Um, (laughs) Nice little consumers, eh? (laughs) And I think moving beyond where we're at, it really is about making that point. We need to be naming this wherever it manifests itself. So we need to be naming this when it's done in the media. We need to be naming it when it's done by members of the Liberal Party or members of the Labour Party or Jackie Lambie or anyone else. But the connection we have to make is that the the fundamental problem is taking an entire group of people 
whether one is targeting them because of their skin color or because of their religion or because of their ethnicity, this is part of what goes to the core of the ideas of racism. As a Jewish woman, I see direct parallels yeah. between the way my Muslim sisters are treated and the way Jewish women were conceptualized, mm. between the way the Muslim community as a whole is vilified by our political class and has given rise to these far-right movements and the way that Jewish people were treated mm. and conceptualized. And the problem starts with the conceptualization, and it's in that conceptualization that the roots of racism and fascist violence begin. Mm. I think some of these people go, oh, we're not Islamophobes, we're not afraid of them. You know, mm. we're not afraid of Muslims. And um, I think that's... They're probably not because they know that, you know, basically um, the dominant narrative is that everybody's on their side because, you know, Muslims are, well, if you look, if you take a little bit of time off watching, you know, My Kitchen Rules or whatever and you look <laughs> on ABC 24, it's like terror, 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 terror and a bit more terror and there's some guy... Um, you know, somewhere in the Middle East blowing something up. I mean, why wouldn't you think that Muslims were um, a clear and present danger to Australian society? Plus, we don't drink beer. Um, you know, we don't go out of the pub. We're kind of like sharks. We don't go to the pub. Um, and uh, it's it's sad. It's sad. I think that there's been a bit of a failing on both sides. I think that some Muslims have been a bit standoffish. Um, I think that um, I reckon, but I, I don't know. It seems to be a lack of curiosity on the part of people. Like if you had someone who was a Muslim like down the road to you and you really wanted to ask some questions about, you know, the Muslim sh threat and the creeping Sharia and all that kind of stuff, wouldn't you just go down the road and knock on their door and go, you know, um, are you actually going to blow up the street or whatever? I mean... It just doesn't seem to be... People don't seem to be asking questions of the Muslims that they know, the resources that they have at hand. Um, the stuff I heard at this thing yesterday were just so amazingly crazy. Um, and all the Muslims know the answers to these questions that they're asking. And and these reclaimers ask these questions of us in, in internet forums all the time and we answer them, but they just don't want to, they don't want to be appeased. They don't, because they think we're all making takia, like we're all lying. Um, and that we're, we're, we're keeping it a secret. Um, until some kind of mystical call to action where we all rise up and take over the planet. Um, I don't really know what the answer is, but the problem is we can't ever say anything right because, you know, we don't seem to be asked by any mainstream media. Um, we don't... For example, they don't seem to wheel out normal Muslim people. They wheel out all the crazies. They, they, they wheel out all, all, all the really intellectual people who don't speak to the general Australian psyche. It's not that Muslims haven't been around. We've been around since the year dot in this country, but 
for some reason we're the new, I don't know, we're the new black or something, you know? <laughs> Jared, if I can ask you to respond. Uh, I mean, you mentioned before about not being naive about the about the media. It is just overwhelming, isn't it? The the negative media. It's just it's it, how could, in in one sense, how could a, a an ordinary Australian have any other opinion but the, the one that they have? Mm. And so, uh, before we get to the media piece, like with that kind of fear. Um, if, if we just look at how we respond to that kind of fear, that uh, like even physiologically how people respond when they're scared isn't rational. We, we give ourselves far too much credit. And so one of the first things we need to be able to do is show that we can, like, like the larger Australian public who thinks this is horrific, that can identify clearly that here is another people group who are being scapegoated, whether it's sexual minorities or um, uh, Jews in the past or uh, uh, particular um, ethnic groups or here a religion, that society in times uh, of difficulty finds it um, very convenient if you have a, a common enemy. And, and sadly, the current Australian political climate, um, not just in the um, uh, Liberal Party, but like Labor Party as well, has played into this fear. And so we have to start to address like the actual issues of fear and, and how, how to actually speak into that in ways that are actually transformational, speak into that in ways that actually meet people where they are. I think one of the things we often do is jump to name-calling uh, and we might rightly diagnose someone like in terms of an Islamophobic imagination and that's what is animating. But how do we actually address that in a way that handles those questions? One of the things, we do, it's no secret that I live with a whole bunch of Muslims every day of my life. Um, uh, there's 18 of us at First Home Project and uh, people who, like we're in Midland. Uh, Midland um, uh, has a, a proud uh, tradition of uh, uh, organising from below, but there are also elements in Midland that you know comedians fill their jokes in with Midland when they come to Perth to make those kind of jokes about those kind of suburbs. I'm deeply uncomfortable with some of the classism of how people are responding, uh, making fun of uh, whether it's people's spelling or people's lack of education or whatever else. Uh, we actually need to be in the places where these concerns are being raised and actually have a, the number of people in the Muslim community who are doing this work day in, day out and are doing a beautiful job. The job of allies and uh, uh, others in larger society that want to support is actually to highlight this work and support it. it, it like um, uh, we were talking about uh, Professor Anne uh, Ali earlier in terms of her incredible work where she's actually... Um, showing that the rise of the far right in Australia is far more um, concerning than the uh, radicalisation and extremism of Islam in Australia. How do we have those kind of conversations where we take this monster and actually humanise it? One of the first things we need to do is to uh, simply speak up, but also not only call things out when they're wrong. And we've got a culture that's really good at calling things out, but how do we call people in? on a better picture? How do we actually invite people in that, like, hey, we're having a barbecue at the weekend. Yeah, sure, leave pork sausages at home. But there are mates are there that, like, I really want you to meet because they've been on the receiving end of the kind of hatred extremism you're experiencing. That's why they're living in Australia. So there's little things about 
Uh, I think the activists who held out uh, the sign in Canberra that said, um, it's not yours to reclaim. Little things about historical humility that I'm a first generation Australian. You only go back one generation before when my family was being called terrorists. Um, A a little bit of historical humility for for all of us, I think, is really, really Mm -hmm. important. And having those conversations where um, we might be right when we call them racist, but it's like, how do we actually bring a racist on a journey of actually leaving that hatred? And what's animating that? What need is that meeting that our movement has to be able to meet in a more transformative way? Uh, I think it's also um, extremely important to um, recognise that that fundamentally it is about reaching out and appealing to uh, to the middle, to the people who are not already racist. Um, I think that that's probably something the left has not done particularly well over the last couple of years, and that is um, to re-identify with some elements of class politics and to be able to um, begin to have conversations with people about their actual concerns in life. Um, about job insecurity, about housing issues, mm. about transport yep. issues, about all of these things that are feeding people's anxieties. And so when people talk about things, to me, about things like, um, I'm worried about my way of life. Um, I'm worried they're going to, you know, uh, 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 are you worried they're going to ban Christmas? Because certainly that does come up on occasion. <laughs> but really, fundamentally, what people are concerned about is um, is some of the things that are going that are going potentially, they think, to directly impact them where they live. Mm. What they fail to understand is that the politics of the right are actually going to make all of that worse, not better. So I think we've got a big job to do in terms of the entire project of the left and how we communicate. And I do agree with Jared on this point. It's really important not to fall back into um, criticising and condemning people who who are members of the working class and this reference to bogans and, and, and all of that. And I think it, it goes to a certain sense of frustration that some people on the uh, on the left have about the, the inability to engage with, with some members of this cohort. I think the important thing is I don't believe that's the cohort we need to be trying to engage with. It's people who have not already been contaminated by that belief system. And if we pull all of society into progressive space, then a lot of the people who are currently in that wheelhouse are going to move out of that space with, with the rest of society. Thank you very much to you all for for joining us this evening. Thank you. Thank you. No worries.